Please be seated. Would you pray with me? Most gracious God, we are grateful for the gift of this season, the opportunity to celebrate and remember what you've given to us. And Lord, we um, pause to ask that you would give us a fresh anointing of your spirit this morning. Lord God, we need the fruit of the spirit in our lives. We need love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. May we open our hearts today to a fresh anointing of your love and your spirit. I ask, Lord, that you would also pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray this with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sorry, it's making me give my passcode to open. Such is life these days, isn't it? Today is the fourth Sunday in Advent. As we heard from the Tinnies, this candle represents peace. The candle is called the angel's candle. Why? Well, last week we read how the angels told the shepherds about the good news that will cause great joy for all people. That Jesus, the Messiah, has been born just after this announcement a great company of the heavenly host appear with the angel and proclaim glory to God in the highest, in highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And on earth, peace. Peace is central to Jesus' coming. The announcement that the angel makes is a fulfillment of a promise made many years before from Isaiah 9 that we heard read just a few moments before. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As Prince of Peace, the responsibility for governing the world, which is the care for and support of all people, let's not forget what government's supposed to be for. Right, It's supposed to be for the care and support of all people. And Jesus, of course, the government will be upon his shoulders and he will do that. What traits will mark that peaceful world, this peaceful reign that Jesus will have? As we've discussed before, the word for peace in Hebrew is called shalom. Shalom experienced is a multidimensional, complete well-being, physical psychological, social, and spiritual. It flows from all of one's relationships being put right with God, within oneself, and with others. Shalom is perhaps the most basic characteristic of the future kingdom of God. So as the angelic host proclaimed glory to God in the highest and on earth peace... They are proclaiming that this baby in Bethlehem's birth, life, death, and resurrection results in this multidimensional state 
of complete well-being. Shalom. Pause to take that in. What if shalom were a full-blown reality in our lives? What would daily life be like? It would include what we all long and hope for. That the world would be put to rights. That all our relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, I would even say with nature, would be mended and healed. This is what the gospel accomplishes. Shalom. When we consider such a world, it's easy to believe the promise by the angel is good news that leads to great joy. Because wouldn't it be amazing if that were the world we were experiencing right now? And that good news becomes a reality in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection by sheer grace. The grace of God. The gift of God. In fact, I would say that grace itself is an indispensable ingredient of shalom. For in a sinful world, part of what's required for all things being made right is a healing and reconciliation that no human can elicit. We've probably seen and experienced a lot of different tries, right, to make things better in our world, and it just doesn't seem to happen. We have little successes as a culture or as a world, but it's never enough. It's beyond our capacity to create. We need outside help. And the heavenly host is proclaiming our outside help has come. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. Like Shalom, the implications of grace in our lives can be difficult to fully comprehend. I recently ran across a short video by one of my favorite theologians, Frederick Beekner. His insights on grace are helpful. Let's listen. Most religious words have become so shopworn, nobody's much interested anymore. But not so with grace, for some reason. Mysteriously, even derivatives like gracious and graceful still have some of the bloom left. Grace is something you can never get, but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. A good sleep is grace, and so are good dreams. Most tears are grace. The smell of rain is grace. Somebody loving you is grace. Loving somebody is grace. Have you ever tried to love somebody? A crucial eccentricity of the Christian faith is the assertion that people are saved by grace. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. There's nothing you have to do. The grace of God means something like, here is your life. You might never have been, but you are, because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch, like any other gift, The gift of grace can be yours only if you'll reach out and take it. Maybe being able to reach out and take it is a gift, too. 
He says, grace is not something you can get, but only be given. There's no way to earn it or deserve it or bring it about any more than you can deserve the taste of raspberries and cream or earn good looks or bring about your own birth. Take a moment and think about how receiving the gift of grace can lead to an experience of shalom, right? The gospel itself, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, brings about this new reality. It is a future reality. It is coming. But the promise is that it's also breaking in now into our lives, that we have the opportunity to taste it, maybe not the full thing, but part of it now. A key problem, of course, is that the world has no true capacity for lasting peace. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What Jesus' grace provides and the world gives are antithetical. In fact, in the world, there are so many things that keep us from peace, aren't there? In your daily life, aren't there so many things that keep us from peace? Consider how often our daily lives are filled with one or more of these. Anxiety, fear, regret, anger, disappointment, pride, and resentment, to name a few. These are all signs of our sinful world. They're signs that something is wrong. Did you notice that none of those things are listed as a fruit of the Spirit? Right? Anxiety, can you imagine? Fear, disappointment. No, right? This is not of the Spirit. This is of the world. And grace is the remedy for each of them. Right? Grace is the remedy for each of them. How? When by grace that we know that we know that we are fully known and fully loved by God, when we know that we know that we are fully known, every deep and dark crevice, and fully loved by God, that God has us and that God will never let us go, then our hearts are no longer troubled. They're no longer troubled and we are no longer afraid. This is what the gospel promises. And I want to make sure you don't miss this message. I know that we know the message. Most of us, we know the message of the gospel. But let me say to you, I I don't think we're living in light of it every day. If we were, guess what? We would be experiencing more peace. And so today, don't miss that promise, right? That our hearts are no longer troubled when we know that God has us. That because of grace, God loves us unconditionally. And whatever shame or sin or brokenness or regret that you brought in this room with you today, you can lay it down and leave it here. Because God has forgiven you. All will be made well. That's the promise of the gospel That's the power of grace. And so we are no longer troubled or afraid. And then our anxieties and our regrets, as we lay these things down, our anxieties, our regrets, our fears, our anger, our disappointment and resentments recede. They fall away. And our pridefulness is humbled. And as a result, we begin to experience 
peace. That's where peace comes from, true peace, deep peace. So how do we live in light of this grace that leads us there? The answer is obvious and simple, and yet it often feels elusive and difficult to implement. In this world, it's difficult to believe grace is real and impactful. It's difficult to keep the faith, to implicitly trust that the angel's promise about Jesus is true, and to live our daily lives trusting what Jesus has accomplished. Yet Scripture makes clear it's possible. Here's Paul in Romans 5. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have peace with God through Jesus. Why? Because when we put our faith and trust in him, we receive the grace in which we now stand. Isaiah 26.3 says this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I love the practical cause and effect setup here. It echoes Paul's encouragement in Romans. It's all about trusting Scripture's promises are true and living into that promise. And the promise is when we keep our mind focused on God, staying connected to Him spiritually, talking with Him throughout the day, to the extent that we live this way, we will experience peace. Because it is one of the fruits of God's presence, right? The fruit of the Spirit. One of them is peace. Then Paul, of course, shares this very well-known guidance in Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We stay connected with and focused on God through prayer, through conversation, through inviting the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts. We live that faith and trust out as we talk with God, share our concerns and our worries with Him. And we do so with a thankful heart. As we live this way, our anxieties fall from us and we experience a peace that transcends All our comprehension. Think about that. And more, this peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is something worth having. And when we possess it, it changes us. And as we go out into the world in that peace, it changes those that we come in contact with. What a promise. I mean, may we take our part in staying connected seriously, right? We have to, as Frederick Buechner said, we have to receive the gift of grace. We have to engage it because that way we can regularly, there is a way to more regularly experience peace even in a world like we live in today. That said, as we heard earlier, shalom is perhaps the most basic characteristic of the future kingdom of God. In other words, We're not there yet. We're not experiencing this world will never be 
a world brought to rights where every relationship is healed and mended. We know that, right? But we have a taste of it. We have a taste of it. Um, What is that shalom? Do you remember the promise in Revelation? It says all will be made well. This is the promise that the gospel of grace brings about ultimately. All will be well. There will be no more death, no more tears, no more suffering. All our relationships mended. Peace. That's the promise. And there is where we find hope. But the problem is, of course, that we live in a world that's the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. It's, um, it's the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Even now we are saved by grace and fully righteous in God's sight. Even now. Right? But we do not yet fully experience that reality because we still struggle with sin. The now and the not yet. Even now, shalom exists in God's kingdom, but we do not yet fully experience it in this world. But as we experience whatever portion of God's peace that is available, we can do so in hope, knowing that shalom in all its fullness is coming. It will be the ultimate place that we reside. So may we not lose hope. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The question naturally is, is Jesus your Prince of Peace? How often do you experience a deep sense of peace? For we all need more peace. And our world does too. So if it's not happening, may we revisit our faith in God and learn to abide in him. That's what scripture says we need to do. And the Christmas season is the perfect time to do that. So this Christmas, may we renew our faith as we celebrate the birth of of our Savior, and believe what the angel said is true. That the birth of this baby in Bethlehem is good news that leads to great joy. For in him, the hopes and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And as a result, meaningful peace is available to us as we put our trust in him. May we engage our faith and our trust in him in a more deep way this Christmas season. I promise you the benefit will be felt and known. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.